Hey everybody, how's it going? Hope you're all good. Hope you are well. Welcome back to another live episode of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family with me, your host, Harry Simeu. And on this episode, we are going to discuss Thomas Frank's comments regarding Ivan Tony. It looks like he is staying put this month. We'll get into exactly what the Brentford boss had to say a little bit later on. We're also going to talk uh, a bit about Pedro Neto, a player that consistently um, gets linked with a move to Arsenal. Is that something that could happen in January? Uh, we'll share with you the latest on that. And we'll also discuss the criticism Arsenal faced after it emerged that they complained to the PGMOL about the treatment of one Bukayo Saka. So lots and lots to get into. And we'll take your questions and thoughts from the live chat as always. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Hope you're all good. Hope you are all well. Do you know what? It is absolutely pelting it down outside. Um, you might be wondering why I've started the stream a few minutes late. If you're watching this back later, you won't care. If you're listening to this on audio, you probably won't care. But for the benefit of those of you that were waiting very, very patiently in the chat, Mrs. Simiu done a classic Mrs. Simiu on me today. All day, she's been telling me that she was going to um, rustle up one of my favorite foods. And I've been really excited about it. You know, when you've got a hard day's work, a, a long day ahead of you, lots to get through, lots to work through. Um, you feel like you haven't taken your head um, out of your laptop um, in terms of, you know, just being buried in it all day. And you're desperately wanting something to look forward to. She says to me, yeah, I'm going to cook you uh, a meal that I know you really, really enjoy. And I thought, great, happy days. I set up this stream. I went in the house. I sat down for five minutes. That's all I had to kill between um, sort of finishing what I was doing before and then obviously making my way um, that back down here to do this. So I thought, you know what, let me get myself away from the laptop, away from the desk. Let me sit down uh, in the kitchen and have a, a glass of water. What does she say to me? Harry, we've run out of olive oil, which means I can't cook what you want me to cook. So you need to go to the shop and get me olive oil, which is why we are late. So apologies. Um, any complaints, please do put them in writing and direct them to Mrs. Simi. Uh, let me say a few hellos. Afsar's with us. We've got uh, Toan, who is with us as well. 3 a.m. in Australia. Bloody hell. Um, that is dedication. Thank you for being with us. Earfan says like, like, like. Please do. Uh, we've got Junior Gunner in the chat as well. And Stan the Man is with us. Um, hope you're well, mate. Uh, good to see you. Uh, Damien Kelly on the Ivan Tony thing says he's not even worth 65 million. So if they want 100 million, um, we should walk away. Ron Stone says good afternoon all. Um, and, uh, yeah, Paul Nell is with us as well. He says, uh, where is the mailing address for these strongly worded letters? Uh, DM me and I'll send it over because there's a few that uh, might not be sending letters to my house if I was to put my address out on here. Anyway, um, let's get into uh, what exactly Thomas Frank has had to say about Ivan Tony. Now, of course, Brentford are in action, uh, tomorrow night. They play Wolverhampton Wanderers in the third round of the cup. Um, I'm going to be at this game. I'm going to be covering this game for BBC London Sport. Um, Brentford are a really interesting proposition at this moment in time. They've got so many players missing uh, through injury. They've lost more players to the AFCON. Um, and, you know, as Thomas Frank kind of alluded to in his press conference earlier today, they are down to the bare bones in terms of what he has available. And dare I say that they're on a little bit of a slide at the moment and there is a chance that they could get sucked into and dragged into the relegation fight. So 
Thomas Frank will do everything within his power to try and keep hold of his best players. And Ivan Tony, despite having not played for a long time, is undoubtedly one of them. I've been saying to you guys for a long, long time that the likelihood of Arsenal doing a deal for Ivan Tony in January is just very unlikely. I don't think that there is a chance really that this happens. And even more so when you hear the way Brentford are speaking. A, with regards to what they're demanding price-wise, £100 million just seems bonkers to me and way beyond the realms of what's fair. And so you'd probably need your head tested um, if you were one of those clubs willing to go out and meet that demand, especially in the January window. And secondly, um, I just don't think he's that great a player. Like, I think he's good. I think he's decent. I think he's a good Premier League striker. But is he the transformative striker that Arsenal need? Not in my opinion, which is why I haven't been keen on this from the beginning. But when I listen to what Thomas Frank said today, there is no doubt in my mind that the only way he's going to be allowed to go is if an astronomical offer comes in. And I just don't think that's something that Arsenal should be considering or entertaining. So on Ivan Tony, Thomas Frank had this to say. He said, yes, he is staying. I can't see why we would sell him. And I would love to have him for a longer period of time. It needs to be an unbelievable price. Uh, so he will stay here. He also spoke about the lack of alternative options that they have at this moment in time and almost suggested that it would be stupid, crazy of Brentford, given their precarious position in the Premier League right now, to go, oh, well, you know, actually, we we will compromise on our price. And do you know what? Actually, um, you know, we will let him go. It's got to be something that makes them look at it and go, this is just too good to turn down. And in their eyes, clearly, not in my eyes, but in theirs, clearly a 50, 60, 70 million pound offer isn't enough to do that. And if you think about, you know, the, the difference that Ivan Tony could make in terms of them staying in the division, um, you know, that would be worth a hell of a lot of money. So you can understand why they would feel like, you know, if he significantly increases their chances of staying up, then that is is something that they need to consider. And he's a player that they certainly need to keep hold of. So no surprises for me. I don't think that Ivan Tony um, is a player that, um, you know, we should be moving for. And I don't think he's a player that Brentford are going to make it easy for us to move for or anybody else for that matter. There's some talk that Chelsea um, are sort of circling as well. Chelsea have got a bit of a habit, haven't they, of overpaying um, for players that, you know, more often than not have turned out. To be duds. So, you know, I just don't think Arsenal can afford to get lured in and sucked into this. And, you know, yes, we've heard managers say that players were staying before and then that wasn't the case because when the money came across the table, the ownership or whoever else was in that position calling the shots decided that actually my uh, my manager, my boss, I'm going to take this out of your hands because the club needs this. So it's not, you know, it's not mad that, um, that you know, that Thomas Frank has this state, uh, stance today and that in a week's time, things look very different because somebody has come along and offered a ton of money. But I just don't think that should be Arsenal and I don't think it will be Arsenal. Uh, just going back to the live chat, uh, Pazza the Cat says, uh, a Cypriot house running out of olive oil. I call BS, even my Indian slash English house. Um, even in there, it would be sacrilegious. Um, he says, Tony in the summer would be Michael. No, look, I, I did get told a few days ago, actually, that we were running really, really low. And um, I know people don't really care about my olive oil problems, but as a Cypriot, it's a big deal. So you're right to raise it. And it's probably worth me just 
um, sort of discussing this very, very briefly, very, very quickly. But I was warned uh, about a week ago that we needed to go and get another massive one um, from where we normally get it. And I've just been too lazy to go. So what I did was I stopped off at an off license, found the same brand, but a really small um, sort of bottle. And I bought that just to get us by. And now um, that has that laziness has come back to bite me on the ass when I've been sent out in the uh, in the trucking rain to go and get um, another one of those small bottles. So in a couple of days time or a few days time, I'm probably gonna have to go and get another one. So yeah, better get myself in gear with that. Tony in the summer, I'm not as against that. Um, but I still go back to my original argument, which is this is a guy that I don't think transforms Arsenal, that I don't think takes Arsenal up to the next level. I think he's a good striker, but that's it. Um, I think there are players with much higher ceilings than Ivan Tony, And if I were in charge of the finances at Arsenal, I'd be looking at some of those players. Um, if, you know, as we expect, it's going to take a big investment to bring in any striker of any worth and of any note. Um, you know, I, I've talked about Vlavic before. Tolan asks about Vlavic. You know, I would have him in a heartbeat. I'd have him over, over uh, I beg your pardon, Ivan Tony. Uh, Boniface is a player that people keep talking about. Damien Kelly has highlighted him in the chat. Um, and, you know, um, I, I don't know as much about Boniface. I know um, a lot about Victor Osimhen. He's another one that I'd consider. Look, if you're going to pay $100 million for for Ivan Tony, which is what Brentford supposedly want, then why wouldn't you pay $105 million and get Victor Osimhen? Do you see what I mean? That That's why I'm finding this a little bit uncomfortable. People will say, oh, but he's Premier League proven and all the rest of it. You know, that is a factor, of course. But is it the be all and end all? For me, it's not. Um, it's not. So, yeah, not completely convinced on this. But anyway, we're going to take a short pause. And when we come back, we're going to talk Pedro Neto. We're going to talk Bukayo Saka as well, who's been the subject of a complaint made by Arsenal to the PGMOL, apparently. Welcome back along to the podcast. Uh, according to Fabrizio Romano, Arsenal are still interested in Pedro Neto, but that is a deal that is more likely to be done in the summer. It feels like we're hearing this a lot right now because as has been consistently reported, Arsenal financially have to be quite creative, I think, in this window with regards to how they do business, how they do things. We all know that Arsenal have been buying, 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 buying over the last few years and not selling very well. And so at some point, this was always going to catch up to us. Yes, there's increased revenue uh, because of the Champions League and because of our participation in that competition. And if we can consistently be in the Champions League and the revenue um, consistently is looking much, much more healthy, then we'll be in a position further down the line where this is less of an issue. But you've got to remember that we're operating on revenues in terms of having to show what we're showing that don't include Champions League football. And that... Uh, of course, has an impact. Um, Pedro Neto is a player I like. We've talked about him before. I don't want to go over old ground again. And if this does progress at any point, then maybe we'll do a, a deeper analysis of him. And, um, you know, I can sort of try and figure out whether my opinion on his suitability has changed from the last time uh, we were being heavily linked with him. What I will say, though, is this. He is another player whose fitness record concerns me. And considering I've been sitting here over the last few days bemoaning the fact that we're without certain individuals and the impact, the negative impact that that's had on our team, wouldn't I be a hypocrite if I ignored that when talking about Pedro Neto? I think it is um, something that needs to be discussed when, when it comes to him. I think it's something that needs to be considered 
if you're a football club about to drop a load of money on his signing. So, yeah, that would be um, my concern with that one. Um, is it going to happen in January? Again, much like Ivan Tony, I think it's highly, highly, highly unlikely. Uh, so I wouldn't get carried away by that talk either. Um, we're going to take one more short pause. When we come back, we're going to talk Bukayo Saka because this, the, the, not this story, but the reaction to this story has got under my skin a little bit. So I do want to have a bit of a rant about the way people are criticising Arsenal for their decision um, to raise uh, the issue of a lack of protection uh, when it comes to Bukayo Saka to the PGMOL. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just a moment. Okay, so a report emerged uh, which claimed that Arsenal, um, during recent conversations with the PGMOL, had highlighted their concern over what they believe to be a lack of protection for Bukayo Saka. Now, anyone who watches Bukayo Saka plays for, uh, playing for Arsenal knows that he gets kicked. He gets kicked from the very off. Um, one player will do it, get away with not picking up a yellow card first time around. You know, they'll give it the, oh, come on, ref, it's the first challenge. And then they'll rotate and someone else will do it. And then someone else will do it and someone else will do it. And often Bakayo Saka needs to get four or five really heavy kicks in a game before any action is taken against the opposition. Now, let me be clear. Bakayo Saka is not the only player in world football that has to deal with this. There are a lot of talented footballers, particularly wingers, that get this kind of treatment. So I'm not sitting here saying that Arsenal deserve anything special um, or that Arsenal deserve more protection than any other team. This is a problem across the board, right? Let, let's get that out of the way first. Arsenal had this conversation with the PGMOL in private. What part of that don't people understand? This conversation took place in private. Arsenal didn't put out a club statement claiming that Bukayo Saka gets kick lumps out of and that something needs to be done about it. This was a private conversation between Arsenal and the PGMOL. I'm I'm certain that this type of conversation goes on all the time between football clubs and the PGMOL. So what actually is the issue here? I mean, are those who spend the entire month of January desperate for inside transfer information upset that something was leaked? How hypocritical would that be? It's wild. Arsenal are well within their rights to have this conversation, to take steps and action that they believe will help protect their player. And if people don't like it, well, tough, tough, because there's nothing wrong with Arsenal having that conversation in private. You know, some would argue, well, maybe it was Arsenal that leaked that they uh, brought that up uh, to the PGMO or to maybe try and create some kind of subconscious um, bias that maybe referees will kind of fall into the trap of. You don't know that, though, do you? It's not a fact. Nobody knows where it came from. Could be someone in the PGMOL that's leaked that particular line to a reporter or to a journalist. You know, so to be critical of Arsenal here, I think, is wild. I think lots of managers across the division, across world football, would say similar things of players that they have in their side. And if Arsenal were in a dialogue and in a conversation with the PGMOL um, about a number of other issues then they were well within their rights to bring this up privately. And that's exactly what they've done. Nothing wrong with it. They're not being crybabies. They're not moaning uh, more than anybody else does. They've had a private conversation that somehow has made its way out into the public domain, the contents of which have somehow made their way out into the public domain. If you're criticising Arsenal for this, have a day off. It's too early in the year. 
to be miserable and bitter. Anyway, let's go over to the live comments and get some of you guys' thoughts um, on uh, on the subjects we've discussed. But also, if you've got any questions, uh, it's not going to be a long episode today. Chuck them in and we'll work our way through some of those um, as well. Uh, Paul Nell says he'd like to have uh, Pedro Neto. Um, Damien Kelly says uh, we only wanted Tony to help us win the league now, but wouldn't buy him in the summer at 28 years old. That's interesting. It's interesting because it, it, it suggests that you see Ivan Tony as kind of like a quick fix. Well, if it's going to cost 100 million pounds to get a quick fix in, then it's not a quick fix anymore, is it? It's someone that you're stuck with for the long term. So that's why I, I never thought this ever added up and made any sense, really, um, in all honesty. Uh, Toan says, uh, I think Vlavic is best suited for us. He'd be at the top of my list as well at this moment in time. Um, but of course, there are a few players out there uh, that I would uh, that I would consider. Maybe as the window goes on, we'll do a bit more. We can do a bit more of a deep dive um, into, uh, you know, who would be suitable and who would be uh, worth uh, looking into. Uh, Sooty says, uh, given our whole front line is struggling this season, we need someone to come in the team in January to help us score goals. We've scored the lowest number of open play goals um, in the Premier League, just 20 goals. I haven't looked into whether it's the lowest in the Premier League. I know we're not scoring a lot of goals in comparison to the other top five, uh, to the rest of the top five. And obviously, that's a concern. Um, that's a worry. I'll take your word for it. I've, I haven't looked at that statistic um, myself. But I, I sort of highlighted it on a recent episode. I do think our goal-scoring problems are down to the way we're building up more than anything else. And as a result of that, we're not creating enough clear-cut chances. And therefore, the numbers um, in terms of our outputs, they've reduced quite significantly. So, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, we'll... We'll see what happens over the course of the January window, but I'd be very, very surprised if Arsenal move for a forward unless Eddie Nketiah is sold. Now, there are suggestions this evening from David Ornstein that Crystal Palace have stepped up their interest in um, in Eddie Nketiah and that they're going to push quite hard uh, for him over the course of this window. If they do and they come up with the right amount of cash, I don't see why Arsenal wouldn't let him go. But that would be. Um, of course, based on them bringing someone in the other way. And who that would be, I think, remains to be seen. So, yeah, this, it's one of those windows where you kind of need all the dominoes to fall into place for Arsenal to be able to go out there and do um, a significant bit of business. And judging by sort of previous windows, looking at some of the players that we, um, you know, we want to move on, and the fact that we're not going to want to have our pants pulled down for them, i.e. your Nketiahs, your Nelsons, you're, you're happy to sell them. I'm happy to sell them if we get um, the right amount of money in. But you might not always get that right amount of money in January. So do you sacrifice the right price in order to get the money in the door a few months earlier? We as fans might be pressing the panic button at the moment um, with regards to, you know, with regards to not scoring enough goals and and looking at the forwards that we have and thinking, well, we don't have enough in our in our ranks to turn this around. But is that the feeling within the club? I would argue it's probably not. Um, Sooty says, uh, correction, we're 13th in the league for open goal scored. I thought it was around about 12th. Um, so, yeah, that sounds right to me behind Bournemouth, Chelsea, Fulham, Forest and Wolves. 
Um, okay, uh, let's see what else we've got in the live chat box. Uh, Sam says, what about Kadi Oglu, the Turkish uh, defender that we're being linked with today? I've seen that story um, floating around. Um, I've seen that story um, being discussed. I don't know anything about the player, so I'm not the person that is going to be able to fill you in on whether he's suitable or not, not without doing some some research first. Um, but until it comes from a source that I'm more confident in, I'm not going to get, again, carried away uh, with this one because we've been linked. Remember, we were linked with Sasha Bowie, a fullback, weren't we, for a long, long time uh, from Turkish football. That never went through. That never happened. Um, we seem to get linked with a lot of Turkish-based players. And, you know, for whatever reason, some of these links turn out to be duds, really. And you get a lot of that during a transfer window. Um, you know, anyone who works in the game, works in the business of online publishing and all the rest of it, knows exactly why these stories get put out a lot of the time. Sometimes they're legit and and sometimes they are leads that are worth following up. But a lot of the time, um, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a load of nonsense. So I'm not going to get too carried away on this. Uh, Oyun Chular, who is uh, one of our Turkish viewers, says, I am Turkish and I've been watching Kadiolu many years. Is like a Zinchenko, former number 10 player. Is that really what we want then? Another fullback that can't defend? Just read in between the lines um, what you're saying. Um, let's take this one from uh, Damien Kelly because I suspect a few of you feel this way um, uh, about sort of my analysis. And the reason I say that is because I see a lot of you make similar types of comments um, in the live chat as we go through the shows, through the days, whatever. So I do want to address this, but just before I do that, leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Um, and if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. We're going to address Damien's comment because it's quite a chunky one um, that I want to kind of really dissect in just a second. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Okay, Damien, Damien, Damien. Here we go. Damien says... Harry, I've never once heard you blame Edu and Arteta for the situation we are in and our inability to buy players based on financial fair play. They gave away Aubameyang for free, Pepe and Torreira for peanuts. Okay. If you inherit a shit show, a basket case of a football club, if you inherit a mess, which is what... Edu and Arteta inherited when they walked in the door, then you cannot be held responsible for issues that arise even further down the line, but whose root cause begins back when someone else was in charge. And that's why I've given Mikel Arteta and Edu um, a bit of leeway when it comes to transfers and when it comes to selling. Now, in three or four years down the line, when we come to the point, maybe even sooner, you know, if we come to the point where we are selling uh, the likes of Fabio Vieira and we're selling the likes of Jakub Kivior and we're selling the likes of um, even people like Sambi Lakonga, you know, then if we look, if I look at those deals and I think that we are being shortchanged and that we've made mistakes um, and that we're selling badly, I will look at the people that bought those players in and I will say, that on the balance of things, you got this wrong. You signed this player for X amount of money. Let's take Fabio Vieira as an example. Not, not saying he's going anywhere. I'm just using him as an example, right? 
Fabio Vieira cost this football club £35 million, pounds, or there or thereabouts. If in a year's time we sell him for £10 million, pounds, I'm going to look at that and say, you've had a bit of a shocker here, lads, because you pushed the boat out to get him in, relative unknown. You spent big money based on what his reputation was at that period of time. You brought him in the door. You've had him hanging around the place for a couple of years. His stock has been declining that whole time because he's not really been playing. And now you are selling him um, for a low amount of money and at a massive loss. Then I will look at Edu and I will look at Arteta and I will say, guys, you got this wrong. You need to be held accountable for this. I think with every sporting director and with every manager, when it comes to transfers, you have to afford them some wiggle room because every manager has made bad signings. Every sporting director has made bad signings. Even Sir Alex Ferguson, the great Sir Alex Ferguson, who I always hear referenced when um, people sort of start being critical of Arsenal and, and all the rest of it. He bought some absolute dross to Old Trafford over the years. He bought lots of great players, but he brought a lot of dross as well. So did Arsene Wenger. You know, you go back to the Sir Alex Ferguson days. You remember that goalkeeper he signed, Massimo Taibi. You remember Eric Jemba Jemba. Anderson was rubbish. He brought in a load of players for whom it didn't work out and that were simply not good enough to play for Man United. Bebe is another one um, that somebody uh, has referenced in the chat. The point I'm trying to make is that even the very best managers and even the very best sporting directors will get transfers wrong. That's how football works. Every transfer, this is my catchphrase, as you guys will know that have been listening for a while. My catchphrase during every transfer window is every signing is a risk. Question is, how much of a risk do you want to take? So I'm going to give them some leeway with some of the players that they've signed. But if consistently they're trying to sell players um, that they've brought in for big amounts of money and failing to do so, failing to do deals that make sense to us, then I'm going to start to question it. But most of the players that they've had to move on, and especially the ones that you've referenced, Damien, um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, they didn't sign Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. They were guilty of giving him a new contract, a big contract. But can you imagine yours and other people's reaction if that deal wasn't signed? Because at that time, it felt like he was our most important player. It was fresh off the back of him firing us to the FA Cup. Then his attitude went. Then his head went. What do you do as a manager? Do you look at it and say, I'm going to just let him cause a problem within my dressing room? I'm going to let him be toxic. I'm going to let that have an impact on the rest of my team. No, you go to the club and you try and convince them that taking a financial hit is the best way forward. Now, you've got to think about how toxic things must have been with Aubameyang for a club and Arsenal's owners in particular, KSE, to go, yeah, you know what, we'll write the money off. And the same with Mesa Ozil. You know, you think about people like Nicolas Pepe, um, nothing to do with Mikel Arteta, nothing to do with Edu. They tried, they gave him opportunities. He just wasn't good enough. And the, the telltale sign of how bad he is and how bad a signing he was for Arsenal, and that's maybe not how bad he is, maybe that's unfair, but how bad a signing he was for Arsenal, is that nobody will even take him for £10 million now. You're going to blame Edu for that or Arteta for that? Lucas Torreira is another one. Came to England with so many high hopes. I was I was buzzing about the Torreira signing. Why? Because I was a big, well, I am a big lover of Serie A and I've seen loads of him um, in, in that league and I thought it'd be great. 
It didn't work out like that. The lad was homesick. You can't predict that kind of stuff. But even still, it wasn't an Edu signing and it wasn't an Arteta signing. I will judge them on the signings that they make. And I would judge them on the profit and loss with the players that they bring in the club. Now, they've made mistakes. People like Runison came in under their watch. Cedric Suarez came in under their watch. Um, Sambi Lakonga came in under their watch. And I find it highly improbable that he's going to be a success at Arsenal. Nuno Tavares is another one. But if you're taking gambles here and there on seven, eight million pound players, you can get away with that for quite a while, actually, before you end up in a situation where you are in a mess. Arsenal were in a mess and Arsenal have had to spend to get themselves out of that mess. But if you didn't realise at that point that somewhere down the line, there were going to be implications of that, that there were going to be consequences for the fact that we were spending, 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 but couldn't bring in decent money for a lot of our players then that's on you because you you failed to see what was obviously going to happen. So that's why, and I'm not having to go at Dame him, by the way. It's a, it's a valid question. It's a good point. That's why I wanted to spend a bit of time on it. But I do think that there are a lot of people out there that are, are very quick to point fingers at certain individuals about certain things when the truth is that, you know, you've not really thought it through. Um, to say that it's because of Edu and Arte. For example, if you say that it's because they've overspent that we're in this place, well, where would we be if they didn't overspend? You wouldn't all be upset in the first week of January saying that, um, you know, that, that we've blown the title because we wouldn't have even been in the conversation for the title. So the money had to be spent. We had to turn the squad around. And a lot of the money that we've spent, a lot of the money that's been laid out because of, um, killing some of these contracts off is a part of the reason that we're in the place we are as well. But the, the powers that be took the decision that that was the right thing to do at the time. And I will not hold anybody responsible for somebody else's mess ups. That's the point here. Okay. I'm not going to sit and hold Edu accountable for some of the awful deals that Raul Sanlei did. Um, that is not fair. Um, that is not fair at all. Uh, big shout out to Highbury Squad. Sophie, hope you're well. Happy New Year to you. Good to see you. Um, she says, Emery tried to remove Ozil, but didn't have the same hierarchy support Mikel has. Now, Ozil was the instigator of the bad behaviour. He tried to undermine the manager. Unfortunately, Wenger enabled this first. Um, she then goes on to say, Mikel was empowered to remove the toxicity. And rightly so. Yeah, agreed. And we all agree that that needed to happen. So to now sit and say that, it's Edu and Arteta's fault that we spent that money to remove that toxicity. And that's why we're sailing close to the wind when it comes to FFP is unfair. Surely people can see that. Um, Stan the Man says, would it be fair to say that Partey has been a bad signing? He's only been available for about 30% of the games that he could have played in. Um, yeah, I think it is fair on the balance of things to say that the signing of Thomas Partey has been a bit of a letdown. Yeah, of course. But it is about availability. Now, where I again, where I would defend Mikel Arteta and where I would defend Edu is that prior to his arrival at Arsenal, there wasn't any telltale signs that Thomas Partey was going to have these fitness struggles because he'd been so robust for Atletico Madrid and so consistently available. So this is an example of where something can go wrong on a signing that you just couldn't see coming. Nobody could see coming. So then to be revisionist and go back and pin that on any one individual, I think is really harsh. I think we can all agree that when he's fit and available, Thomas Partey's a great player. A great player. Um, the problem is his availability. 
But is that on Arteta? I mean, I suppose you could say that maybe he's overplayed him at certain periods and not rested him when he needed to. Those are all valid points. But I just don't think that, um, you know, we, I don't think we always, as a fan base generally, judge people fairly um, and, and really do take into account the full context and picture of something before we draw a conclusion. Partey can be seen as a bad signing because of the fact that he's not often available. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but would I would I crucify the manager for that? No, because it's not like he went and signed Darren Anderton, who everybody knew couldn't stay fit for more than five minutes. He signed someone that had a pretty good record. And it's why I've got a bit of a concern over someone like maybe Pedro Neto. So, yeah, um, you're right to highlight Thomas Partey as one of those players. But that just goes to show that's the clearest example yet of what can happen, um, even if there is no evidence to suggest that that's going to be the case. So, yeah, um, you know, it is what it is. Right. I am going to leave it there. Thank you so, so much uh, for joining me. Really, really appreciate it. Um, don't forget to leave a like on the video. Don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you go and check out the Highbury squad as well. Um, Sophie and Casey doing a great job over there. Uh, my throat's going. And I've got a busy day tomorrow, so I'm going to love you and leave you. Uh, and I'll speak to you all soon. Um, we'll be back tomorrow with the Liverpool preview. <coughs> I beg your pardon. There we go. How unprofessional of me. Anyway, I'm going to love you and leave you all. And I will see you uh, all, of course, uh, tomorrow with that Arsenal-Liverpool FA Cup preview. Until the next one. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>